Well, hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Um, this happens to be your first time here at Hill City. Uh, my name is John Wagler, and I'm part of this team here, and grateful that you're decided to spend a portion of your Sunday here with us. We are in this series uh, called Voice of the Heart, which is based off of the book um, Voice of the Heart by this guy named Chip Dodd, and so where we're looking at um, the eight core emotions that we have, and that there's a gift and there's an impairment uh, to each one of those uh, emotions. Like every week, how many guys want to be emotionally healthy? All right, keep your hands up, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. Turn to the person next to you and just say, yeah, you do. There you go. All right. <laughs> so I want to show you what those eight, um, we're going to look at this chart uh, every single week. And so um, the eight emotions are hurt, lonely, sad, anger, fear, shame, uh, guilt, and glad. And each one, again, has a gift and each one has an impairment. So often when we look at these emotions, we typically view them as negative, most of them, except for glad. Uh, but there is this underlying truth um, of a gifting of each one of these. Uh, hurt is actually the one that's woven into every single emotion uh, that we have, but there's this beauty that can come from these emotions. And again, this is not just about having better relationships, though you will. This is really about understanding the reality of who God designed you to be, who he created you to be, and to understand the fullness of life that is possible that God has always wanted for you and wanted for me. And so that's what this series has really been about. And I think also why, honestly, um, there, in the beginning when we started doing, whenever we talk emotional health, people get pretty excited about it because I think on the front end, we get excited because we think it's about us. Like, ooh, I can be better? Cool. Right? Like when we, and we think it's really about me, but the truth is, is the more you kind of dig into the stuff, you realize it's about who God wants you to be and who he created you to be in this fullness of life that is there to be discovered. And I think that's why it actually resonates so deep within uh, our soul. And so um, this week we're going to uh, talk about uh, um, guilt. Last week was shame. And uh, guilt, what a, what a word, right? And, um, but want to see guilt in an interesting way because I, I, I don't know if you're like me, but when you think of the word guilt, you inherently think it as a negative thing. Um, but what we see with guilt is that the, the impairment of guilt is shamelessness and pride, um, but the gift is, is freedom and forgiveness. And so we want to look at how that ties into the reality of who Jesus is and, and who he wants us uh, to be. Um, Chip actually writes this uh, in the book. He says, guilt is our most precious emotional and spiritual gift from God. Accompanied by healthy shame, guilt propels us to transparency uh, to us to transparently turn ourselves over to the care of others and ultimately God in order to find forgiveness and freedom. Is that how you thought about guilt walking in today, right? Um, how many guys are maybe in a category where you're, you feel like you're riddled with guilt all the time? It's okay. Uh, you may feel guilty even like raising your hand, right? Like there's like a, an element of like you just feel like maybe you're like in your head just like, man, I got a guilty conscience all the time. And, and listen, sometimes... Um, that's because you're so sensitive to the reality of guilt, which can be a, a wonderful thing. Um, sometimes uh, it's, it's because you're a perfectionist. There might be some of you in the room. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later on. Um, and then there's some people in the room that maybe you don't ever have any guilt at all. Like you don't have a guilty conscience at all. I won't ask you to raise your hand. Uh, but you don't have any guilt. You're like, man, I don't, actually, no, I don't. Like I, you might be like unbelievably healthy and free or just a dumpster fire of emotion, right? There's two like kind of like, like paths there. And, and so even like understanding guilt at a deeper level, when I was processing this emotion of guilt, I was just thinking like, oh, what was the first time I remember feeling guilty? 
And, and, and the first thought that came to my mind, there might have been an earlier one than this, but was when my, my brother, the middle brother, um, he tried to keep me from, we were, I think I was probably like six or seven, he tried to keep me from, from getting dessert. He was standing in this, this doorway and he wouldn't let me go by and, and half moons are my favorite, um, there's these pastries. And, and, um, and so I was getting so frustrated. Now I hadn't been through the Voice of the Heart series at seven o'clock, at seven years old, so I didn't know that I was hurt and I didn't know that I had unprocessed anger that was about to come out in rage at that mo- moment in time. <laughs> Um, and so he's standing there thinking it's funny and like to this day like you don't ever come between me and dessert so what ended up happening as a seven-year-old I just hauled off and just hit him right in the nuts and so um, and it had a a biblical language I've been like gird your loins but what ended up happening was I hit him and he responded in kind and hit me back and he was my older brother and I can't remember if I had a bloody lip or a bloody nose but I just remember there being blood and uh and, and, but I remember this overwhelming feeling afterwards of just feeling like so guilty that I did that. Like that it wasn't like there wasn't, there wasn't right to do. And, um, and so I was, like, I was like, oh, just like feeling overwhelmed as like such a young kid. Even as a teenager, I remember uh, I was texting with a uh, dear friend from high school. Uh, and we were texting about this time where we got caught cheating in our math class. And our teacher was brilliant on how he caught and how he like kind of made us feel so guilty. And we, we got our tests, our quizzes back, and we put our quizzes together. And I had some words on my page and that didn't make sense, and he had some words on his page. And we were texting. We couldn't figure out like what it actually said. We kind of got the gist of it. But when you put our pieces of paper together, he had written, next time you cheat, be a little smarter. And, um, <laughs> but you can only see it if you put the pieces of paper together. And, um, and so we looked up at him, and he had this huge grin on his face. And... But we felt like so guilty. I mean, goodness gracious, we never would have done anything like that to Mr. Catadella ever again. But, um, but there's I mean, just feeling guilty. And so we've all experienced guilt. And we know what guilt feels like, but it's important to actually know what guilt is. Guilt actually comes after a healthy shame. See, what we talked about last week was there's this healthy shame that, that leads to humility. And then what guilt is is an understanding of, oh, I, when we're humbly approaching our life, the, what guilt is supposed to do is be like, hey, you're not being who you're supposed to be. You're not being who you were created to be. And the Bible would, would talk about guilt in the essence of, of, of sin. And what ends up happening uh, around sin, it's, it's like it's moving us away from who we're supposed to be. But, but we need to have a sensitivity to our guilt. And when the right sensitivity there and the right humility is around it, it moves us to freedom. It moves us to an understanding of forgiveness. But when we're not in the right space, it leads us to shamelessness and uh, to pride. Um, there's this guy uh, named David in uh, the Bible. And, and what we begin to see with, with David, he's an interesting storyline. And so if you're not familiar with the Bible, you might have heard of David and Goliath. So it's that David. He becomes king of Israel at one point, And his background is, is pretty interesting. You know, he was chosen by God and other people didn't see like who he really was. And, but God saw something special inside of him that was in his heart. But David was not, um, he, he didn't live just a straight life. 
He didn't live a life that was like, oh, that man, I would love to be like David. I would love to have his life. He, he was a mess in, in so many different ways. But there was a piece of him that was also like incredibly emotionally attuned to what was going on. And we see that in a lot of his writings. But David did something actually incredibly horrible. Um, at one point in his life, uh, there's a story with this woman named Bathsheba. And a lot of times we, if you're familiar with that story, uh, we view the story of, oh, like he looked at Bathsheba and, and everything. And, and, um, and then he uh, committed adultery with her, um, and his, the, the husband of Bathsheba was a guy named Uriah, who was one of his best friends, and who he was like super loyal to David and protected him. Um, but really what David did was, was rape and sexually abuse Bathsheba. And um, we, we kind of diminish the story too much because it's, we, don't, we don't like that version of it. It doesn't read as well in Sunday school or with kids' classes. But that's actually what happened. He, he raped and sexually abused um, Bathsheba. And then he actually is a company, he's a murderer because he then has Uriah um, ends up being killed in, in battle, but he was set up to be killed. And that's part of David's story. Now, David suffers the consequences of those actions in a lot of different ways um, through his family and through his kingdom and everything. But there was something else that happened in David that I want us to look at that I also think is important because when he writes this, we start to see something around the idea of, of guilt and where David was, was actually at. It doesn't justify any of his actions, but what we do see is the reality of even what we were just singing about, this, this radical um, grace and forgiveness that can be experienced with God um, does not necessarily remove us from consequences of our actions. However, we can experience a, a forgiveness from God. And so in uh, Psalm 51, it says this, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. I want you guys, if you're in a space right now where you feel like God could never love me, I want you to just take hold of that phrase. His unfailing love. He says, according to your great com- uh, compassion, blot out my transgressions. All right, so you're going to see a, a, a couple of different things here. Um, transgressions, when they talk about sin, is to other people. All right, so transgressions means towards others. And he says, wash away all my iniquity, which this, is, um, this means the path that you're on. But when it's iniqui- iniquity, it's a crooked path. All right, so that the way you're living your life is just not how it's supposed to be. It's, it's all over the place. It says, and cleanse me from my sin. Well, sin is the morality. All right, so we, we begin to see that how the Bible talks about sin isn't just like how we talk about it, which is like kind of like sin as this one thing. But, it's, but actually, when the Bible starts describing things, it's like it's, it's all in these different ways and, and seeing the fullness of what ends up happening. It says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. So you see that there's this seriousness that's happening here to how he's engaging the guilt, how he's engaging what's happened, how he's engaging his, his actions. Look at this right here. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And like, well, hold on a second. What about Bathsheba? What about Uriah? What about his, his family? Um, it, it'll get there at some point, but where it starts here, he says, against you to God and you only. There's this seriousness that he encaptures his, his guilt with. So if I sin and done what is evil in your sight, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge, meaning do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. God, I realize that, man, I've gone against you. I have elevated all these other things above you. So actually, you have every right to do whatever you want. Have you ever prayed that? See, 
To pray that is to actually honor the holiness of who God is. To, to pray that and even think that, to be like, you know what, God, I've gone against you. Like, you, you, whatever you want to do, do. When now we come and we're like, God, please forgive me. Don't, 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 right? But David's like, no, no, no. I've sinned against you. Do whatever you feel right to do. I want us to take this in because I want us to see where, where this leads. And so when you, you see with shamelessness and pride, you don't get to that place of saying to God, do whatever you want to do. You don't get to that place of saying, like, God, I've sinned against you. You, you go this shamelessness route. You go this prideful route in terms of how we uh, begin to respond. And the first thing that we begin to act like is a coward. Is a coward. You see, when we take our guilt lightly, and we don't have uh, a lot of humility around all of this, we, we, be, we start acting like cowards. We lack vulnerability. We're not honest with others in terms of who we are. We're not honest with God and with who we are. And uh, what ends up happening is in that hiding, we will learn how to manipulate and become hypocritical. We begin to see, it's like, oh, it, well, how do you get to that place? How do I, why did I get to that place where I'm hiding all the time and everything? It's, it's like, well, because of our pride and because we're shameless, we're not taking the reality of our guilt. I'm serious enough about I'm not enough humility. It's a cowardly way to live. Because you're not fully who you're supposed to be. You're not fully honest. Like, no one walks around being like, wow, it's super courageous how hypocritical you are. Well, we're acting like cowards, and we're cowards relationally. We don't, um, we don't engage people like we should. We don't engage the reality of who we are. Like, it takes courage to, to be vulnerable with people, doesn't it? It takes courage to admit when you're wrong. It takes courage to step forward and say, like, I'm a mess and, and I need help. It takes courage to do all those things. But when we can't get there, we're, we're acting cowardly because of shamelessness and, and pride. You see, accountability and responsibility are for the mature and the courageous. And that's something we've got to grasp onto on, on the front end. It's like, do I want to live cowardly or, or step into something else as I engage the reality of what sin might do in my life? You might deny the truth of your life or deny what's actually going on and you end up blaming the people uh, around us. You know, when guilt comes on us, um, and, and we keep denying its reality or minimizing it, um, you feel heavy with it. You, you, like you, your body literally feels it. Like you, you feel heavy with it. And when you feel that heaviness, you can only do one of two things. You can go to God with it and get free, or you can hold on to it and hide it and manipulate it and just heap on and keep heaping on and to the point where it feels normal. Have you ever like... Um, have you ever like held something for so long and it's like and it's, it's heavier and you kind of just get used to it and it's like it's a struggle at first but then you kind of just get in that rhythm where you feel like I can oh, I can carry this I, can, I got it I got it and all of a sudden you let go and your hands like whoa like you feel it like this well what is it you, you let the weight go but at actually at one point like the weight felt normal like you could walk with it you could do stuff with it it felt normal but that's what the guilt does that's what sin does it eventually starts feeling normal but it really it's heavy on us. Another thing that we move towards is we become numb. We minimize and we become numb to the realities of, of sin. You know, it's funny, like even when we become numb, the way that we begin to deal with our numbness around this is sometimes even with like self-deprecating humor. 
And like that can be used to avoid something, avoid being honest about where you're really at, avoid the reality of, of who you are. You seek out laughs maybe to avoid feeling. Or maybe you come out with shameless behavior. You don't really care about morality or consequence. Become emotionally un- unavailable. What is it? That's a, that's a shameless act. Like when someone's emotionally unavailable in the context of a relationship, yeah, it's a cowardly way to be in a relationship, but it's also a reality you've become numb to everything and you've minimized the reality of, 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 of the guilt and, and the sin that's in your life. And, and eventually what ends up happening is we become emotionally detached from people. And where does that come from? It comes from pride, and it comes from a shamelessness in the way that we begin to uh, live our lives. And that shamelessness can come out in so many different ways. That, uh, so often uh, throughout the years, I'll, I'll talk with people who have questions about, like, say, premarital sex and um, there can sometimes be a shamelessness to doing it. Meaning, I could present something and say, hey, is this, uh, is this freeing? Like, for instance, uh, what I usually walk people through whenever I talk about it is I, I'll walk them through, hey, let's talk about the gifts of the Spirit. And like, let's, because if, if, the, if the fruit of the Spirit is, is related to reality of being connected to God, so let's talk about that with, with just sex before marriage. Um, how about love? That's the fruit of the spirit. Is, is, is sex before marriage about love? And someone could, you could argue like, well, maybe like a little bit. Like, I'm not, I'm not sure. Like, I do love that other person. I'm like, okay. Like, I'll, I'll give you that fruit, okay? What about joy? <sighs> yeah, I, I mean, I guess, I guess so. But maybe not the fullness of it. Oh, okay, so do I get that one? All right, I'll take that one. Um, what about peace? Well, if, if you didn't have it, like, would there be peace in your relationship? I don't, I don't think there would be. Well, then what happened to your joy? So your joy's gone too. Well, if there wasn't peace or joy, so I guess there was no love there anyway. And you kind of walk through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Maybe, maybe be kind to one another. Or, or goodness. Is, is it good for everyone to do that? Well, no, it wouldn't be good for everybody to do that. Okay. Gentleness. I mean, I'll give you gentleness. And then you kind of work through a faithfulness. Well, it's not really faithful because you're not married yet. So you're not like fully faithful. And, and so and then you get to the last one. I'm like self-control. And, and so you, you work through, and you're like, oh, wait, hold on. This doesn't produce the fruit of the Spirit. But guess what? Most of the time, people still do it anyway. Well, what is that? It's just pride. It's just pride. And you moved away from a sense of humility because you're not actually free. And you move into a whole different way to begin to approach it. And you can use any kind of subject matter around that. But we see how it began to work. I mean, that was my story for a decade of my life. That's, you could have presented me with the same thing around, around that issue and walked me through the same fruit of the spirit conversation and I would have answered you in the right way, kind of theologically and spiritually, but I still would have done it anyway. Well, what was that inside of me? It was just pride and shamelessness to keep doing whatever I wanted to do. And it wasn't leading to actual uh, freedom. We end up enjoying sin rather than God. And we make something else our God. I mean, so, so let me just play this out a little bit bigger. So we've got this kind of reality. Imagine millions and millions of people engaging the reality of guilt and sin like in that same way. So just play it out. You know how like it plays out just for you and just for me, but imagine then millions of people acting that way. You could see how things go like awry so quickly. Uh, James, who was the brother of Jesus, he wrote a letter to the early Christians, and, and he wrote it this way. 
He said, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. All of a sudden, the passage like this takes on a little different like, slant when you're like, oh, actually, he's just describing social media right now. He's just describing the reality of our lives in, 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 like 2,000 years ago. Well, where does it come from? Shamelessness and pride based off of a lack of humility around guilt and around the sin that ends up happening in us. To take that incredibly seriously. Um, there's this um, sin chart that I saw about a year and a half ago from this guy named Mark Sayers that I just, for you note takers, you have to take a picture of it because I'm going to go fast with it. But um, I want you to see about the reality of, of kind of how it plays out culturally um, and I just love this because he, broke, he breaks it down in such a way that we've all seen this. You got the hedonistic kind of view of things. The purpose of life is pleasure. What is sin? It's preventing pleasure. Don't tell me not to do something. Um, what is the world? It's just a playground. Attitude towards faith. It's too moral. It's restrictive. And then solution to moral ills. Um, less rules, more pleasure. That's how a hedonist would live. All right? It's your view of kind of guilt and sin. It's like, this is how I want to live my life. Just more pleasure. I want to do what I want to do. Stop telling me not to do something. And that's a hedonistic uh, view. You have a moralistic view. The purpose of life is to do good. What is sin? It's the ignorance of, of good. What is the world? It's a good place that's ruined. Um, attitude towards faith. Church is immoral. Solution to moral ills. Virtuous education or a new moral code. Um, we see this in kind of virtual sign signaling and different things like that kind of culturally right now. And, um, and so you see like, oh, this is how they're dealing with guilt and sin. But it's actually through shamelessness and pride. It can come out in all these different ways. Another way is therapeutic. Um, and again, in each one of these, like take the hedonistic view. Is pleasure a God-given thing? Yes. Absolutely. So there is some kind of element of truth within all of these, all right? So even the therapeutic idea model, its purpose of life is to feel peace. So just do breathing exercises. That's how you feel peace. Um, what is sin? It's mental and emotional trauma and discomfort. Um, and by the way, let me say this. I'm, I'm a fan of therapy, all right, and all this stuff. But it, it's not, therapy it does not answer sin. Therapy uh, is, is not what, what makes us whole, Right? There's something that deeper going on. Um, what is the world? Painful. It's a traumatic place. Attitude towards faith, acceptable for personal peace. Um, a solution to moral ills, you need safe spaces and to minimize harm. Like, that's how you live your life. It's interesting because, like, the Bible talks about, like, you don't actually need, like, safe space. Why? Because we understand the goodness of God. And that suffering and pain will actually happen, and, and we just got to engage the reality of the fullness of life. That's happened. You don't have to, like, oh my, don't, don't get so close to it. And just want to keep you away from all harm. It's like, that's not real. That's not real. Or maybe you're nihilistic, which is purpose of life to feel nothing. What is sin? It permeates everything. What is the world? It's a disaster. Uh, the attitude towards faith, it's corrupt. The solution to moral ills is to escape. You know, it's interesting. Uh, some Christians are actually more like this than you realize. They'll say things like this. Oh, the world is just the worst. Culture is just the worst. Those people are the worst. God, will you just take us and end everything? I'd rather escape and get out of all of this. And 
Has anyone ever heard that from Christians? Like, people say something like that, and like, that's not the way God tells us to interact with the world, or how to even see the world around us. So we see how easy we can fall in line on this. Where does that come from? It comes from a prideful engagement with the reality of, of sin in our lives and reality of shamelessness. Here's the third thing that happens. We become perfectionists. Some of you guys are squirming right now. And I, w- I want to, if you like, I pay attention to detail and you want things a certain way, I'm not saying this is totally you, um, but I just want you to question where your perfectionism comes from. So we start seeing that um, maybe as a perfectionist, maybe you live a life that you think, oh, I just have to keep doing good. The, the, the better I am, the more perfect I am, therefore the more holy I am. That is not how God thinks about you. The more that, the more, if I can just, if I can just earn enough, maybe I'll get into God's good graces. So I just gotta be perfect. I can't make mistakes. It's not how it works with God. What essentially happens in that is a self-hatred builds because when, when you make mistakes, you just hate that you did that. And so that continues to build inside of you. And it's a toxic element. And that's not how God wants you to see yourself. So even that perfectionism can be so harmful to how um, we engage the world around us. And where does that come from? It's actually coming from a prideful place, thinking that you can fix everything. What ends up happening with perfectionists so often is you can't accept forgiveness or grace because you feel like you need to earn it. But then you also can't give, you can't give it to other people because you're so judgmental towards them. Because they're not as perfect as you are. And it comes from a prideful place. Um, you avoid your own issues and amplify everyone else's. You get into a legaliz- legalism cycle, which is you fail, you get up, you swear you'll never do it again. You condemn yourself, then repeat, repeat, and repeat. And then a lot of times you get fixated on self-esteem. Now, is self-esteem a bad thing? Of course it's not. Actually, like a great like self-confidence of who you are and understanding of who you are and having the right kind of identity is actually like a connection to the reality of the God that created you. But when the only focus is self-esteem, it becomes incredibly prideful. So um, if you're roughly my age, so I'm 46, if you're roughly in that age bracket, um, that is the start of when like self-esteem became the big thing. Like, let's just, you got to build them up, build them up, build them up. Tell them they're the best, right? You could do whatever you want to do, which is a lie. But like, there's like, like you build it, you build it. Like everything's about self-esteem, 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 self-esteem. But it doesn't actually build people up in the right way because the focus of self-esteem is on who? Me. And so, yeah, do we, we want confidence? Of course. But we want to gain our confidence from the right space and the right place and not from ourselves. When this happens, everything starts to get crooked. The path gets crooked, and we begin to see this. So what happens with freedom and forgiveness? You become aware. You become aware. So this is the gift of guilt. This is the gift of having a humility of engaging your life and, and begin to understand, like, oh, I'm becoming very aware of things, aware of who God wants me to be, aware uh, of who I've sinned against. Uh, Aware, can you imagine if as we approach the reality of our guilt in those moments where we're kind of separated from who God designed us to be, that our first response is like, God, I, I have sinned against you. Yes, I also sinned against this other person, but I sinned against you, and I want to approach you in that way. Why? Because I'm so aware 
of this. I'm aware of who I've sinned against. I'm aware that I need forgiveness. I'm aware that I need freedom. I'm, I'm aware of all these things. If we don't understand that we've sinned against God first, we will always rationalize or minimize our sin. That's not freeing. And so it's important for us to, to begin to understand uh, that peace. And so um, do you need to seek forgiveness from other people that you've harmed? Yes, that's a freeing thing to do. That's what a humble person does. When you've harmed someone, you seek forgiveness from them. Um, you can't forgive yourself. Here's what I mean. You can't wrong someone else, not go to God about it, not go to other people and just sit there and be like, Wags, I forgive you. And I walk away and I'm like, all right, I'm good. Like if I wrong Kevin and then my response is to just forgive myself, is Kevin like, oh, I'm so glad Wags forgave himself? <laughs> is God like, oh, I'm, th thank I'm so thankful you did it and that my, what I did on the cross was worthless? See, it's like, no, we don't, yeah, you can't hold on to your guilt and you can't, that, that's not what freedom actually is, but it's not about forgiving yourself. It's about, it's about understanding, oh, I need to seek forgiveness from God and from the person that I wronged. When we keep holding on to our guilt, it's as if we're trying to put Jesus back on the cross. So you gotta understand, I'm not saying to just hold on to everything and, and like, but I am saying that you do need to feel the weight of it. But if you keep holding on to your, listen, if you've gone to ask for forgiveness from God and meant it, he forgives you. If you've gone to, like you've gone the proper channels to, to ask forgiveness of people, like you're forgiven, like you've done the right things. To keep trying to hold on to that is to essentially be saying, Jesus, what you did on the cross just wasn't good enough, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna keep holding on to it just in case. But man, isn't it freeing? It doesn't mean it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. There are consequences to our actions. But isn't it freeing to actually feel forgiveness? Isn't it freeing? I mean, think about like a God that loves us that much. What a, what a wild concept, the grace and the forgiveness and mercy that we receive from God. Through what? Through the death of Jesus on the cross and through his resurrection. It's like, whoa, whoa. I don't want to hold on to this because, man, I've been forgiven. When you've been forgiven and you understand you've been forgiven, then you can begin to live free into the fullness of life that God has for you. The other thing that ends up happening is you become aware, become grounded, become grounded. And this week I was just reading about um, the idea of grounding, you know, like when you take off your, your shoes and, you, and you, you just walk barefoot, like with the ground, with the earth, and experience it. Um, one of the reasons that, like when you go to the beach and you're barefoot on the beach in the sand, um, and listen, I am no fan of sand. Um, but when you're, when you're there, um, I was just reading uh, about, like research about like the negative charge of the earth and what it does is it has, provides like an inflammatory response to your body of why it's so important to, to have moments where you're, you're grounded. Like literally, like you're in touch with the earth. Okay, and so it comes to like being barefoot and, and, and other ways that you can kind of be in touch with the earth. And, and I'm not saying like, hey, sell me essential oils and stuff too, but, but like there, there, I'm just saying there's an element to our connection to the reality of, of, of being grounded and like in experiencing the, the God's creation. 
There's something like with that. There's something to, something to our, our bodies that it, 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 we experience and then we're in tune with the reality of who God is. But to be grounded is to be free. To understand um, why you're here. To be grounded is to, to establish roots. Um, you know, we live in such a transient society now. And, and some of that's good. You experience some new things. But actually one of the biggest downside is like people don't grow roots. And so you just kind of freely just go wherever you want. And it's like, oh, I'm just going to move over here now. I'm going to move this here. And it's like moving might be, might be the right thing for you to do. But if, it's, if you can't establish roots and the intent is to be rooted in your community, then moving is not the right thing. So like when people are like, I'm moving over here, one of my first questions is like, well, what do you, what's your plan to get rooted in the community? Well, I'll just figure out when I get there. It's, I'm like, it won't work. It's like, well, what is, I need to be grounded in, rooted in community. Like that's a part of understanding of living free. Living in terms of how God has always wanted us to be. And so when we're grounded and we begin to understand things, we start seeing the way that, that God has always wanted us to see the world around us. You see so often, even when it comes to our guilt, and so if you've got something you feel really guilty about and you've been holding on to it, you have to ask yourself, am I ready to be forgiven? Am I ready to be free? If the answer is no, then you'll live that way. And eventually what it lives, how it lives out in us is shamelessness and pride. And you'll become numb. Um, or maybe you'll, um, you know, completely deny everything, minimize everything, and and eventually, maybe we just you're like, ah, oh, I'm not actually living a coward. I'm not living a courageous life. But you, you have to want to be free. You have to to want to be forgiven. Do, do you do you want that? You see, what ends up happening is what guilt wants us to do, like the negative side to guilt, is wants us to stay fixated on our flaws. What God wants us to do is be fixated on being free and forgiven. It's a whole other way to live our life. When you get fixated on being free and forgiven, you don't want to keep going back to sin. You don't because you know what it feels like to be free and forgiven, to, to experience the grace of God in that way. When you hide and when you manipulate, when you're hypocritical, it's like, mm, I'm just going to be over here with my, my sin and my guilt and kind of take that on because it just feels better. It just feels better. But I'm telling you to... To live free and to live forgiven is what God desires for your life. To know that you're delighted in. To know that you can feel peace. To know God sees you in the way that you are and loves you dearly. And wants to delight in you and experience like the fullness of life. I remember um, when I sat in church for the first time after having my... Um, kind of come back to, to Jesus moment. I remember sitting there, um, and I had like a powerful experience. I'll come back to Jesus. And um, but the first time I came back into the church, I, I remember my eyes filling up with tears for the first time in church. And the reason was, it was the first time that I ever actually felt free. Um, I had done a lot of stuff I was not proud of. A lot of stuff that I deeply regretted and regret to this day. A lot of stuff that was very, very opposite of a faith in Jesus. But that day sitting there, I just, I was like, I know I'm not perfect, but I know I'm free. 
and I know I'm forgiven, and that's how I want to live my life. Ben, you guys can come up. Um, so that's what I leave you guys with this morning. We're going to sing about um, the reality of the death and the resurrection of Jesus here in this last song, and it's a song called Death Was Arrested, and there's a part in there in this song um, where it's like more of like an anthem, like, I'm free, free, forever we're free. Come join the song of all who believe. Yes, I'm free, I'm free forever, amen. When death was arrested, and like that's when my life began. So your life doesn't actually fully begin until you experience the reality and the truth of who Jesus is. To be free, to be forgiven. So you might be sitting here today realizing the things that you've done have actually wrecked your life, wrecked your family, wrecked your relationships. Maybe it's wrecked your self-esteem, it's wrecked how you see everything around you. But the question that you've got to answer is, do you want to be free? Do you want to be forgiven? Because there is a God who deeply loves you and delights in you and wants you to experience life to its fullest. So we bow your heads for a second. I'm just going to ask you to spend just a moment here before we sing. And maybe it's something you need to confess to God. Maybe it's simply just saying, God, I, I want to be forgiven and I want to be free. And that's your starting point here this morning.